Welcome to the formerly hungover New Age Boxing Podcast. I think all of us are in uh, good spirits today. With me, Andy White and Martin Theobald, as always. Hello. And back by popular demand. I mean, well, the majority of the demand was to keep him away, but we brought him back anyway. For Terry Define Dumb. popular. It's, uh... <laughs> no, it was... Uh... Welcome, Terry. How you Guess doing? who's back. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been? Fortnight away, man. Wow, I've got, got a lot to say. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose the best thing for us to do is uh, crack on, and unlike the hay card last night, our audio should hopefully be better this week, as I've done uh, extensive amounts of work in the Bollocks. in the construction of furniture around the room <laughs> to try and alleviate any sound bouncing. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you will uh, enjoy the listening experience today. Let's talk about the Hay card then. I'll, I suppose we could crack on straight away with the maybe the production problems that maybe, maybe people picked up on. Well, it's probably hard for Terry and I, both Terry and I were down there, so I can't speak firsthand about the the Dave production issues. Uh, although I've read certainly plenty about it, I think my favourite comment I saw online about it was that it was as if Dave had streamed their own TV channel because <laughs> there were lags. You watched more of it, didn't you? It was... Yeah, I mean personally, I've, uh, my setup made me sort of make it think that it was my setup because um, sometimes it does this to me. But the lip sync with the with the audio was out of was out of yeah, whack, which my wife was saying was the same. And uh, so that yeah, that's somewhat. Yeah, I, it was it was quite extreme at one point. Like the commentator would have finished speaking and then the sound would kick in. I thought it's never been this bad before. But uh, yeah, I didn't watch too much of it, um, uh, to be honest. But um, yeah, that's from I definitely saw it happening. Yeah, and a shout out to Matt Smith, the uh, presenter, who I think managed to ask Joe Fournier, a light heavyweight with four bouts, or suggest that his next fight should be against Tony Bellew, a cruiserweight who's about to fight for the world title. So uh, yeah. Fucking tremendous. Well done, Dave. Ah, oh, bless Joe Fournier. Um, the guy's living his dream. You know, he, goes to show he can me. live his dream, not on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was part of the dream. So he had a good time. Spoke to him briefly. Happy for the guy. Um, we'll see what comes next. I always say this in boxing, you're never too far from a reality check. So we'll see. We'll see what they put in front of him next. I'm sure he will fight again because he brings the right sort of crowd. You know, he brings that Mayfair crowd that Mercedes G63 AMG crowd to boxing, which is pretty specific. <laughs> okay, but I like it, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk specifically then about the actual David Hay performance, of which was about, how long was he fighting for? Well, it lasted all of a round and a half. Terry, what did you think to David Hay's performance? Slash the fight. It went the way everyone expected. Um, if everyone followed my advice, you made a good, I mean, made a good few quid. Told you round two. Um, typical performance when someone's leagues ahead. You have a round where you get your bearings, make sure you don't make too many mistakes. You know, <laughs> test out some of the things you've been working on in training, get your confidence up. You know, a couple of power shots to test. I think he fell over a bit sooner than expected. Um, some of the shots, I'm surprised that he fell over. He took a dive, do you not know, think, on one of them? 
What, the one where he fell over off the jab? <laughs> yeah, that's so, it. So, <laughs> I'm going to say this, and having seen the jab up close, there are two things about the hay jab that people often ignore. Number one, the 10-ounce gloves make a massive difference, and the, and the way the hands are up make a massive difference. And then the second thing is, it's almost like, I don't know if anyone's ever done standing upright rows in the gym, and if you're not concentrating, you whack yourself with the bar, bang on the chin. And he has a jab that's similar in effect. It's, it's a very, very hard jab. But should it have knocked that guy over? Well, you know, we, we said he we said he was a bit lightweight, so I'm not surprised he went over. No one inspiring went over, which I was happy about. But it is it's 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 a nice thing to have a jab that causes that much havoc. He justified in the press conference after um, that his jab has been described by other sparring partners, fighters, etc., as being like a right hand from others. Which, okay, I completely appreciate that, but that jab wasn't hard nor special. It was, uh, yeah, no, I don't get me wrong. By that point, uh, whatever his name was, Gregorius or whatever, he didn't want to be in there. Like, he was looking for any excuse to take his money and fuck off, and that's what he did. Um, I, th- I think a big part of it's psychological. Had there been a sparring session, I don't think he'd have gone down as often. Um, I think. You signing up to fight David Hay at the O2 is different to you fighting David Hay at the O2. And all of a sudden you step in and everyone's looking at you and suddenly you're like, wow, this is where I'm fighting. And I think the occasion got to the guy. Got hit a few times psychologically. He's, he's like, I've earned my money. Find a way out before more of these right hands you know, take me apart. Yeah, he was toss anyway. He was never going to win. And he learned, you know, that was confirmed in the first round. When you say about... Um, uh, finding his bearings, etc. I in the first round, like I personally think, like the only reason he didn't stop that in the first round was to avoid public backlash and the abuse he'd have got for second first round stoppage against No Mark. Like I, he could have, he hardly threw a punch after that right hand that dropped him. He hardly threw a punch for the next minute and a half. Like I, personally, I'd view it as like. If he'd have absolutely executed him as he could have freely done uh, in the first round, he would have got so much shit off the back of it. <laughs> he can't win. Whereas another minute into the second half, that made it okay. Well, yeah. It's not... this whole paradox. So you take Mark Demore and you take Arnie. I'm just going to call him Arnie. It's easy that way. <laughs> if they'd fought Joshua November last year, we'd have just said, you know what? Yeah all right, he's going to blow them out in two rounds. Fine, we'd have taken that. I think we hold David to a far higher standard. I think because David's been there. Yeah, exactly. He's been there and he yeah. feels as though he should, be, he should be aiming higher than, you know, some strange weirdo from wherever land who's got 29 <laughs> bums under his belt. So in his defence, I think by the time he fights Shannon Briggs, that'll be a year with the McGuigans. I think that's probably a good time to step up and start fighting people who will fight back. I think there are two things. There's always two things in there. I love that. Um, number one, you're not really going to give people a blockbuster on Dave because you're throwing money away. Um, and number two, he's come off <coughs> relatively serious injuries. I don't think it's a coincidence that in his post-fight interview, he's talking about how he's happy with his training camps. Under Booth, I know a lot of the training was super explosive. Um, you know, you, when you're doing box jumps with weights on your shoulders, which isn't generally good for your long-term health. So I think he's getting used to managing his whole, his whole recovery. And I have no doubt that David will step up. Um, and when he does, I have no doubt that he'll be a factor as well. 
Yeah, no, I think <laughs> there's still clearly something there. Like, how how far can he go in terms... I don't mean that in the division. I mean in a fight. Like, has he got it? How good is that shoulder still? Is he shot to shit? I don't know. Um, could he go into the 6th, 7th, 8th round? He's obviously, you know, looking at him, he wasn't, he wasn't cut. <clears throat> like weight-wise, as he has been before, um, he had a little bit more fleshiness to him. Um, don't know, but it'd be interesting to see if Briggs could take, say, four rounds of punches from Hay. What's he got going into the, you know, the middle to later rounds of a fight? What's he if his CV fitness matches the increase in size and his his injuries? So he'll fight clever, and what you'll expect to see against Briggs is a lot more jabs to the body. A lot more body work. I think when you're fighting a Demori, you can go headhunting comfortably. <laughs> against Briggs, a 44-year-old, you'll see a lot more jabs to the body, a lot of straight rights to the body. If he doesn't think he can get him out there in the first couple of rounds, rounds two and three, you just jab to the body, soften him up, go for another push rounds five to six to stop it. I don't see that fight going the distance. And I don't think, you know, not to preempt any further discussion, I don't think Briggs brings anything to the table that scares David. No. Yeah, I mean, that's been. I think ev- pretty much everyone's called it. Certainly, we've called it from the start as complete one, completely manufactured. You can tell that. I mean, David Hay might be a lot of things, but he's not a good actor. And every time this Shannon Briggs comes on, he talks, and you think, mate, you've got a lot of work before I'm going to believe that you care about this Shannon Briggs dude. <laughs> so I and and it just it's going to be another effective. All right, okay. A question: Is it going to be another effective walkover? No. Um, and the reason it won't be is, and I don't know if you managed to watch the, the Briggs fight, there are a lot of clever things Shannon does. So Shannon knows how to slip and dip a lot. So he'll go jab, slip, dip. So he'll, there'll be a few shots that miss. He's not, you know, it's a weird one. For someone as experienced as he is, he sort of splits between being the upright fighter and being relatively slick and mobile. But he's too old to, you know, to do all of it all the time. So in the points that he's not upright, he'll cause David problems. In the points that he is upright, he'll get hit. But we've seen him take Vitaly's best shots. So I have a lot of confidence that he'll take these too. But he's a left hook merchant. And if you notice, David keeps the right hand high. So you can't really left hook him to the face. And he keeps the hips a long way back from the opponent. So you can't really get to him body wise. So Shannon's going to have to come up with something completely different because the left hooks will not work on David. I would query, based upon last night with that briggs Zerati fight, you learn nothing from that because I can't, I wouldn't need one hand to count the amount of punches that Zerati threw. Like, he was shit scared in there and Briggs blew him away. Um, I mean, Briggs keeps that left hand so low, so low. And like, yeah, you could do it last night because there was nothing coming back. Um, would he be able to do it with with Hay? No. If he does, he'd be out in a round, I'd suspect. Yeah, it's a manufactured, as most things in boxing are really, but it's a manufactured rivalry. And so I was sat there last night when Briggs was, uh, Hay was doing his interview and Briggs comes from the back and uh, I tweeted something like, miraculously, these um, uh, the security had found these um, things to stop Briggs and his team from getting down to the ring. <laughs> Uh, and so he stood behind these barriers that security have suddenly put up uh, with his team, giving it the let's go champ, etc. I tweeted something at the time about this was a steel chair away from going WWE. It was what I found, what I found straight, strange is if you see the video, they said you need a ticket. 
The guy's just four. <laughs> He's got a wristband. He'll be fine. <laughs> they said, I couldn't believe they said, you need a ticket to get there. And I'm, and I'm watching this. I'm like, Hold on. The guy was just there 15 minutes yeah, ago. You didn't stop him on his ring walk. <laughs> That's how you make your money, see, Terry. You charge the fighters to fight. <laughs> to sit down again. <laughs> yeah. And basically, I just, it was one of the strangest things I've seen where he suddenly gets in, he says a few things, and the security march him out again. I'm like, you didn't even let him slap David or anything yeah. to really let this go. But I know from David's perspective, it is personal. Like he, there will be no love lost in that ring. He will look to hurt him why, and take why, him out. Why though? Like, wh- give me some because I don't believe it. So give me some reason to believe in this conflict. It just feels manufactured for the sake. Do of you it. know? I tell you, I tell you when I knew it was real. It was at the, which was a way in where he caught David and David had the the horse. No, his throat had gone a bit. The one where he took his hair. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. And and I remember speaking to David after that. And I was like you know what, if someone did that to you in Bermondsey, you know that's a big problem. And he was like, exactly. And it's true. So I expect that part of it will be personal. What happens in the ring will be, you need to understand who I am and you'll respect what I have in my hands. I'm sure Shannon feels the same way as well. So then when this fight does um, eventually come round, what, I mean, what is there to be gained from it? Interestingly, in the in the press conference last night, hey. Uh, post-fight was talking a lot about the ever-changing landscape of the the heavyweight division. And so he was talking about, you know, by the time he comes to fight Briggs, we would have seen um, possibly Wilder against somebody. Obviously, the Povetkin stuff throws it all up in the air a little bit. We'd have seen Fury versus Klitschko. So we'll have a, you know, a definitive winner out of that with no more rematches to come, hopefully. Um, and then you've, you've got the other... Uh, not widely recognised, but still, you know, let's talk about it. It's a WBA regular belt, which is the one that Lucas Brown has uh, been stripped of, seemingly, for his drug issues. Now, if I were to get my crystal ball out, I would suggest you've got Hay at number five, I think, in the WBA, and Briggs at number seven. Like, I wouldn't be massively shocked to see the WBA regular title used as a trinket to put towards this fight. Uh, and they just call it a world title fight. They'll call it a world title fight. Um, which uh, the WBA have got their ongoing title tournament at the moment, but that's to decide their super champion. Um, they've. My guess, like, if I had to take a punt right now, I would say that they will be able to throw enough money at it to make that for the belt that Brown will or has been stripped of. Which would then cause problems, I guess, because then you'd have to fight an Ortiz or Fresno Kendo. So I think they're the they're two of the three guys above both of them that they'd have to deal with. Tyson Fury will fight neither of them. So that leaves David in a pretty pretty bad position. Personally, I would go after the IBF. I think the IBF division is far weaker, number one. Number two, they're fairer in how they allocate their mandatories. So they'll just go down the list. You know, in a logical order, they'll walk down the list and say... You fight X or you fight Y and then you fight the champion. I just don't see Fury giving Hay a payday and I don't think Fury cares that much about Briggs. So why go the WBA route? I'd have gone either the WBC or the IBF route. Well, he's done it before, Hay, hasn't he? Yeah, former WBA against John Ruiz, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. um, the Chagayev one. Uh, not Chagayev, the uh, Valuev. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's my punt. Like, take it for what it is. But uh, I think... You know, ultimately, Hay is a celebrity boxer, and Terry and I were discussing this a little bit on the way over. He's a celebrity boxer 
Um, and I think putting a title that people who aren't that educated about boxing won't know an awful lot about onto that fight in September gives it more gravitas potentially than without it. Agreed. It's an absolute mess at the moment. I think the heavyweight division is an absolute mess because no one wants to fight anyone. Um, everyone's delaying these unification fights. Um, and Tyson Fury quite rightly saying, I will fight the two other champions this year if I beat Klitschko. I have no problem doing it. The problem is with them because they're trying to make their own money. And you know, it's one of the things that I guess is deflating around boxing is the fact that you know we want to see the best take on the best. And quite frankly, does anyone around the table care about defeats? Not really. You just nope. want good fights. No, completely agree. Yeah, it's something we've touched on before, isn't it? Um, that at the point where somebody's zero gets protected, then you you start suffer, the the sport starts suffering. Okay, well, I think we've reached the end of the uh, Hey Briggs stuff. Have you got anything to add? I oh, know. No, let's discuss the the whole event in general. Um. I had some pretty surreal moments. So, as I was leaving, bumped into both Jose Mourinho and Amir Khan. The Amir Khan was quite surreal. So, I've just walked into a guy. Didn't know who the hell it was because it's quite dark when you exit. And I've literally just gone past, sorry, champ. Turned around, it's Amir Khan. Giving him this massive hug. Just, you know, being a fan. And all his entourage started grabbing me. And it was literally like, no, 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 leave him. So, we had a quick conversation. Um... Really good guy, really humble guy, took an interest in what we're doing on the amateur side, was quite positive about that. And it was weird because no, there wasn't a big deal made about the fact that Amir Khan was around. Yeah. You know, he <clears> kept <throat> a really low profile, just, you know, came down to see the fight, enjoyed it and left. On a similar note to that, actually, Chris Eubank Jr. was ringside um, and I went and uh, grabbed him afterwards and... Uh, I'm still a fan of the sport. Like, as much as I sit and do writing and all this, I'm just a fan. Yeah. Um, and so I asked Chris Eubank, like, can I grab a photo? Because he's doing all these photos. So he's having one with this bloke before, and he says, yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, and he stood up on the chairs because he has to keep going between rows to take photos of people. So he doesn't come down off the chairs. He just goes over the, the top of them and stands on them. And so he's having his photo done with this bloke, uh, and he hands his phone to this uh big geezer down on the floor he's like right get some lined up takes a photo like do you want it up or across kind of thing on the phone takes a photo job done chris is like yeah come up man so i stand up on this chair and like chris eubank he's such a nice bloke like he was really really sound shakes your hand he's like oh what's your name blah 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 little chat and i handed my phone to his mate on the floor and went could you and he went fuck off i ain't taking your photo <laughs> Completely seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Completely seriously. And then turned his back and started. I was like, right, selfie mode it is, <laughs> knobhead. Selfies <laughs> have more gravitas in this, uh, this uh, society now anyway. So, and I think yeah. there, was, there was one more <laughs> surreal moment that happened that night. Um, there's a guy, I think it's from Storage Hunters. The guy with the <laughs> boo. I've no idea, mate. No yeah, idea. no, it's no. so basically this is big guy, and you'll see him on all the Arsenal videos. He's the guy that was talking about Arsenal winning the title in December. Uh, yeah, I know. You know the big guy yeah. with the kind yeah. of bleached yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So someone's clearly it. taken a whack at him <laughs> in the O2. I, I, I'm walking out, and I see a big commotion, and the guy's got a big red welt on the side of his head, being marched through by the police, and all he's saying is, just because you see me on Facebook doesn't mean I'm a pussy. Just going nuts. <laughs> 
Seems like a strange connection to think that anyone would make anyway. I would I'm sure there was a Tottenham fan that just said, mate, you're a dick. Whack. <laughs> <laughs> as, I was, uh, as I was leaving the O2 after the press conference, uh, I was walking around. You have to go the long way around because by that point you have to get sent out the back and then take the walk all the way around the inside of the concourse. As I was walking around, there's this big commotion going on outside Ask Italia, like a, an Italian pasta place or whatever. So I was like, well, I'll stop and have a quick look. And there's Shannon Briggs out there outside this Ask Italian. No shirt on. <laughs> Just doing photos with people, like gone midnight. Ah, fair play. Uh, um, I wanted to ask, actually, the pair of you, um, is, I saw something on, on the internet the other day, um, Eubank trying to arrange something with Golovkin. Is he fucked? No. Uh, they'll say that he is, but... He's got Tom Duran coming up. It um, was announced the other day. So Eubank's gone back to Matchroom, and they're feeding Tom Duran to him, who I feel pretty sorry for. Really, like Tom Duran gets his British title shot. He's he needs more building fights. He's not a bad fighter by any means, but he's not in that um, sphere where he should be taking on Eubank. I'm a little bit confused with Eubank. Like I would have thought he would move. Like now that he's won the British title, okay, is he going to defend it three times and win it outright? I'd be surprised. Like. I, I would have thought he would have moved on straight away to world title. He's had the Danny Jacobs fight offered. Um, didn't take it. I'm surprised he's hanging around at that level. Um, But options are kind of limited. Um, If you look at who Eubank could fight to be credible, you're looking at Pete Quillen. We don't know what he's going to do next. I'm sure Jacobs is holding up for the Canelo fight in September. But that was ordered for the WBA regular, wasn't it? And then Eubank passed it. I don't think this is WBA. They'll make rules up. They'll do it again. It, they're, this is a shambolic governing body. I think, anyway, I think Eubank still needs two more fights to convince that he's at that level. But I don't doubt his dad will make him fight Golovkin at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's a fight I'd love to see. And, you know, I'm a big Eubank fan. It's just he's not going to take that fight in the next 12 months. No way. Would you want him to do that? No, because Golovkin's too smart at the moment. I don't think Eubank has honed his style and his craft to the point where he knows where he is in a fight, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think he's a guy that can get to the fifth round and go, I can slow it down now because I'm comfortable or I need to accelerate. Okay, any last uh, points on the Hay Briggs thing? Um, yeah, I think they just need to sort out the undercard now. You know, they've had two shots at it. It hasn't quite worked out. Um, there was nothing worse, and this is one of my bugbears, than watching the melee between Hay and Briggs and Kay Prosper trying to get to the ring around that. I know, that. I know. And I just caught <clears> him <throat> at the back of my eye and I said, are you really fighting now? And he just had this look that said, fuck He me. was gloved up from six o'clock. <laughs> and and I, I might be wrong, but he must be one of the guys that Goodwin's pinning, you know, the franchise on. Um, Yeah, to an extent. You know, um, slightly concerned about a guy fighting nine fights and you're still doing a four-rounder, but, you know, ignoring that for a second. You know, he's a guy that Goodwin's spoken of highly. You know, I was surprised that they put Nick Webb on instead of him. I think K. Prosper is a better spectacle than Nicholas Webb is. So I just thought there's a lack of thought behind that. And, you know, that's probably one of the things those guys need to think about for the next fight, especially if it's Briggs. That Nick Webb fight was a fucking robbery, right? I'm going to say it as it is. Um, he, at most, at most being generous, won two rounds out of that. And this was a cruiserweight stepping up, a career cruiserweight stepping up to heavyweight who caused him all kinds of problems. So Nick Webb, if he hits you with that big right hand, he will probably knock your head into the concourse. But if you're any boxer with any level of ability to roll a shot, he ain't going to hit you with it. 
and he struggled like fuck with that. I can't remember, Harry Miles was it, I think? Um, and Harry Miles caused him all kinds of problems, and he wasn't a big bloke. And to score it 40-37 was one of the worst decisions I've seen in a ring. That referee that scored it was a fucking joke, frankly. <laughs> yeah, if I, that's I succinct enough. <laughs> Sorry, but that, that was awful, awful. Okay, right, I think we've uh, laboured this too much. Let's move on now to what is coming up um, a, this weekend. So, um, Ricky Burns versus... Michelle De Rocco, what can we say about that? Uh, Terry, I don't know how well educated you are on De Rocco. It's not a name that I'm overly familiar with, if I'm honest. You want to succinct? Don't care about Burns. Burns is finished. Don't care about De Rocco. I'll quite happily miss this card. That's what my <laughs> take on it is. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, uh, the only one that's of interest to me on that is Anthony Agogo's coming back uh, on the undercard. I'm interested to see what the hell happens with Agogo. He's a celebrity boxer. Um, he is his heart in it. I mean, he gets injured every time he steps in a ring. So let's see what happens. But um... for me, he's just not. I, I don't see it. He's not robust enough to box a middleweight. Um, I know he was on the Sky Sports toe to toe. You know, giving us a rundown of what's happened in the last three years. But injury, injury, injury. injury. Come back. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And he's talking about he likes a Eubank fight. I just. He needs to show me something. He's so far off that. Exactly. So far. Like, what's the point? In, that's like me talking about wanting a Eubank yeah. fight. Do you know what I mean? It's another planet. Yeah. But He needs to show something. Hopefully the Sourlands know what they're doing with the guy. But I just think, you know, his window of opportunity is gone. The guy won the ABA title in, what, 2008 now. So he's been known nationally since then. He did the Olympics in 2012. We're in 2016 now. And we're treating him like a four-fight prospect still. Yeah, you're right. And he's not a young man, so we need to, you know, it's almost time to start worrying for him. Yeah. But going back to Burns, I mean, if you ever want to, you know, do a little study on the corruption of the WBA, this is for their full super title. This was meant to be for the regular one. And then that got stripped off Broner on the scales when he fought Theophane. And so they've elevated Ricky Burns at light welterweight against this fucking clown. I've got no idea... He's an old Italian geezer with no names on his record whatsoever, but a decent-looking record within reason. And this is for their super title. Like It's almost as if they've invented a load of belts and their rules are pretty flimsy and they make them up as they go along. Almost. Yeah, <laughs> so I think, I think the formula is this. Work out the biggest grossing fights and throw a belt into all of them so you get your sanctioning fee. Yeah, see, that's why I'm going with a Hay Briggs fight, getting that uh, regular title thrown on the back of it. But just a sense of perspective at 140, you have Crawford fighting Postal. <laughs> and you, you know, and that's for a title. And, and, this- and essentially, you have guys who, whoever wins this, might go up to 147 and cause havoc. So you have that fight happening. That's Crawford Postal, yes. not Burns to Rocco. <laughs> Which is the exact opposite. You know, you compare the two, it's like, it's like eating fine steak you know, Burns Postal, and then Ricky Burns is what comes out the other end. <laughs> a burnt steak. I mean, clearly that's not what comes out the other end. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's... I don't know. Like, it's Hearn taking boxing back to Scotland, and he somehow managed to wangle getting the WBA super title. If Burns wins it, fair play. They're going to fucking parade him. Is a three-weight world title holder. And he's... He's not. He's got a little bit left to offer, but not a world level. He should be, 
you know, maybe dropping back even to lightweight again um, and offering the likes of Luke Campbell someone, you know, to, to be an opponent against. But what he's doing in a world title fight, £140, is bad. You are listening to the Ricky Burns Fan Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's move on then to Sony Bellew versus Makubu, or whatever his name is. Uh, give me some perspective, give me some context, give me some something to care about. Terry, I don't know your Bellew thought, so uh, you fire away. The guy's had chance after chance to do something in the sport, and I think he's an articulate speaker on the sport. I think he's a good guy in general. I don't think you stick a belt on him. You know, you've got... Babert Shumanov and Denis Lebedev due to fight <laughs> each other at some point this year. And you ask yourself, how has Tony Bell managed to avoid that sort of traffic? Not only that, how has he managed to avoid fighting Afalabi? And, you know, here's where I get on my high horse because, you know, I've known Ola for about 10 years. And I remember, you know, when he beat Macronelli and he came down to Fitzroy Lodge and, you know, we all looked at each other and went, mate, you weren't supposed to win that. And you've just cost Frank Warren some money. And he, his career never really got what it deserved because they're always looking for reasons to, to marginalise him. And that fight with Bell, you would have legitimised him in this country. And Tony could have taken the fight and he knows he would have lost that fight. And that's what disappoints me most about Tony Bell. That fight should have happened. And now we've got him fighting Makubu, getting Southpaw. You know, he we've discussed the sparring he's had in there. I'm sure he'll do enough to win that fight. But it tells me nothing because... The guys he was calling out were not Makubu, if you remember. He wanted all the champions, and this wasn't what he wanted. So, look, Eddie's finding a good way to look after one of his mates. What, nobody really knows enough about this Makabu. He's had so many fights out in Africa. The footage you can find of him, he's a hellacious puncher. Like, that big left hand of his is big. Um, is Bellew... I, I don't know. Like Bellew to me does not have the power to be a legit cruiserweight. Like there were some big, big lads in that division, some big, big punchers. Bellew's too soft, like for me at that at that weight. Could he drop down? Well, that's where he's come from. He's light heavy, but he's stripped so much weight to get there. Um, um, I think we remember what happened when Adonis Stevenson met him at lightweight. So, <laughs> so, so that's not going to help him either. Look, can you imagine him fighting the guy that fought Huck? Is it Glowacki? Glowacki. Can you imagine? Yeah, no, but I mean, he got smashed to pieces by Donny Stevenson and so runs up a division where you've got some fucking beasts in there. Uh, and he's somehow Southpaw puncher. Yeah, and he's somehow managed to get this Macabu over to Goodison Park on a Sunday evening because it's bank holiday next weekend, isn't it? So um, it's on a Sunday evening. Uh, it recreates the whole Creed thing where he won the world title as whatever he was, it's a shit film, but whatever he Pretty was. Pretty Ricky Conley. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, You're a false creed. <laughs> um, so he barely worked on the docks. <laughs> That's a great accent. That's a Shut great accent. Terry on piss taking. We brought Tony down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like they get to recreate that whole thing. It's, um, I'm sure, because to be fair to Bellew, he doesn't seem like the kind of person that wants a Hollywood boxing match. That's far more Hearn's input. Um, I don't know. I hope he gets smashed. If I'm honest, like I don't know what it is about him, but I can't warm to him. And there's a part of me that wants to see him spooled out on that fucking canvas at Goodison Park with the lights over him as the whole of Liverpool cries. You're listening to the Tony Bellew fan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's something about it that just it, it's not right for me. Like the way that he's managed to get there. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I'm not a massive fan of his in general. Um, but if he does win it, then fair play, go on and try and you know unify that division because I'd enjoy watching that even more. Okay, let's move on to some news. Frank Buglioni, tell me about him. Okay, so I want to discuss this as a general point, really. Like Frank Buglioni, former world title challenger um, against Fedor Chudinov, um, when he got beaten fairly comprehensively, um, assigned with Steve Goodwin as a manager and promoter. So it's a bit of a, a sort of a marquee signing for Goodwin, and maybe seen as a, a backward step perhaps for Buglioni, but. What it does, it opens up his channels now of where he can fight. So before he was always associated to Frank Warren um, and he was fighting on Box Nation. Then we saw him on Channel 5 recently after he'd lost Warren. But now he's got the ability to fight on Sky. Uh, so he's been chasing the Hosea Burton fight at light heavyweight for the British title. He could go back to Box Nation. Basically, he's, un- he's unaffiliated to any major channel, which I find an interesting move within... Uh, kind of British boxing, not to have that affiliation to Sky or to Box Nation, and you can almost like, yeah, you can go and fight on Steve Goodwin shows, or you've got that name value that you can be used elsewhere on other channels. Um, so I wanted to see what's what's the general consensus on that. He, he get buried. That's my what, view. against Burton. No, he just get buried by boxing. He once you move to Goodwin, what you, what you're basically telling the world is Eddie doesn't want me, Frank doesn't want me. I'm going to be fed to anyone between 168 and 175. I imagine if Callum Smith were to step up anytime soon, they'd feed they'd feed you know the wise guy to him too. Um, Jose Burton. I don't rate yeah. Burton particularly. Don't rate, um, but it's my own opinion, I don't rate Frank that highly either. Um, as super middle, I, I saw him get battered about, inspiring by a few guys. So Frank's a guy that sells a lot of tickets. So for Goodwin, that's fantastic because you can anchor shows with a guy who can still shift about a thousand tickets. You know, that Enfield area is a bit dry for boxing. So he still shifts tickets. Makes sense for Steve Goodwin. Um, I don't know what the long-term plan is, but I say that about all Goodwin fighters. I don't know who's meant to anchor the stable, you know? And I think that's probably something Steve needs to work on is actually saying, here are my five lead-off fighters. Here are the five guys the British public should be getting excited about because I want to get excited. If he says to me he has a plan for Frank that involves challenging any and everyone at 175, then I'm all over that. But if it's just, I need the guy to sell tickets, then, you know, we'll see the end of Frank's career at the top level. I'd be surprised if we saw him too much at York Hall, I suppose. Um, I'd suspect he will be... So. Uh... I don't know, like, would they... An interesting one would be Anthony Yarder. I think Anthony smashes him, frankly. Like, he's a fucking animal. He's an absolute animal of a man. That doesn't um, go three rounds. You both rate Yarder, don't you? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah, but he's um, going to have problems getting any fights. Um, There are a number of reasons I rate him. Forget the boxing side. The guy's an incredibly nice guy. Um, Just, just a great ambassador to the sport. Lives the life. Is always in shape, you know takes the sport seriously. So, you know, I always talk about the the kids I saw in 2012, him, O'Hara Davis, Junior Benjamin, who I still pray crosses over as well because he's fantastic. Um, Big Junior as well. There's a whole camp of these kids that used to train religiously. You'd see them on Christmas Day posting the videos up and you see where they're coming now and you go, that's what happens when you guys obsess about success. 
So he he's fantastic, man. He got all the punches, you know, foot movements good. Um let's see what happens when he fights someone who's long with a good jab. I yeah. think that'll be the test. Yeah. That no, wouldn't disagree. Um would the Buglioni fight happen? I say I'd be surprised if that was one that anyone jumped at, to be honest, because Yardi's going to struggle to get matched up with anyone, uh, uh, you know, with a name or a value. I would assume they've sparred, uh, and I'm assuming Frank knows what he's signing up for if he jumps in, with him <laughs> and will give Anthony Yard a wide, wide berth. Right. Okay. I want to move on uh, to. Let's go for the American card that happened last night, Terry. You're our you're our eyes on this, so give us some details on what happened last night over the uh, pond. So last night, there were three big fights. Um, I think it was a Showtime card. Um, you know, Matchroom could learn from this. You had three fights, <laughs> you know, three potential superstars there, all was fighting for fights. I'll need to double check. I don't, I don't think, think it, was. it was. I don't think it was. I don't think this was pay-per-view. So you get Evisandi Lara versus Man- Vanis Matrosian. You get... Jamal Charlo versus Austin Trout, and you get Jamal Charlo versus Joe. Julian Jackson, isn't it? Yeah. No, Julian Jackson's the Hawk. That's his dad, Julius Jackson. Sorry. Um, the Lara fight, just by way of context, four years ago they fought. Um, controversial decision, clash of heads, ruled a technical draw. Um, neither of them were happy. Um, there's a lot of blood, bad blood between them. You know, Matrosian accused Lara of fouling a lot in that fight. You know, don't know if Lara's a dirty fighter. I know he knows how to look after himself up close. So they fought this time. Um, in contrast to the first fight where Lara was using a lot of straight lefts to the body, he just decided to take him out to the head this time. I've, I haven't seen a Southpaw land that many straight lefts in one fight. Um, scorecards for memory, two 116s, 111. And one was 115, 113. But Lara pretty much walked that one. If that's the Lara we're going to see going forward... And if he does move up to 160, I think a lot of people could be in trouble because he was punching with real venom and real accuracy for a change. Um, Charlo brothers. Normally, I think Jamel's meant to be the powerhouse of the two, um, with Jamal being the more technical and the roles were reversed this weekend. So Jamal snuck a decision against Trout. I think Trout just used his experience to to nick rounds. And but Trout's it, a good name to get on your resume as well. Yeah. It's... Uh... That's a decent win. Yeah, that's that's a very good win because he beat Cotter. Yeah. So so that's one Charlo. And I think they're trained by different people. So one's trained by, is it Dennis James? Is that so they don't get mixed up? Uh, bring the wrong one in on a Saturday <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So they both came up with Ronnie Shields, if I remember correctly. And one's moved from Ronnie Shields to Dennis James now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I'm still a big fan of Ronnie Shields. I think he produces fantastic fighters. Um, So we saw... The one Charlo sneaker decision, the second Charlo from being behind on the scorecards, basically whacked Jackson with with a right hand to the eye that seemed to. First of all, you thought it had no reaction, and his legs stiffened up. About a second later, his legs completely stiffened up, and instead of the ref stopping it at that point, he's taken a left hook to the face that's knocked him clean out and left him hung on the ropes. You know, which for the second Charlo is unusual. So. You have all three expected winners winning. Um, makes the 154 division healthy. I expect the bigger Charlo, which is Jamel, to move up to 160 with Trout. 
and that's just more fights for Canelo and it's more fights for Golovkin. Um, Demetrius Andrade will be on his way up there as well. So I think... They're all scared of Liam Smith. <laughs> yeah, we all are. <laughs> so let's see what happens there. You know, I don't think Liam Smith would want any part of any of those guys, despite what he fuck all of anyone. Yeah. Pointless. You know, if he, if he could dig up Lee Purdy from somewhere, I guess he would. <laughs> Such a terrible... I can't remember the geezer he's got that if his world title defense so bad that the Frank Warren posters have like just left the geezer kind of it's almost like he's photo bombed the poster his opponent <laughs> just in the top right corner yeah don't forget me yeah he's ranked I think 59 on box rec yeah. Liam Smith's opponent so then world just, title so just thinking roundup of America Devin Haney again so the Floyd Mayweather senior protege Devin Haney all of 17 and a half years old or whatever he is I think he's up at 5 and 0 now um, big interest in him is obviously because this is Floyd Senior, and you know I guess they're trying to recreate another Floyd. Doesn't look the part yet, but I guess you know when you're that age, we can't judge you until you get to 21. So let's just see how he progresses. Okay, let's move on to listeners' questions. I, I didn't do a. What's that? <laughs> I didn't do a jingle. Sorry, what's that? <laughs> listeners' questions. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> Can you have my name taken off the credit? See, that's why we bring Terry in. He brings. He adds the little sugar to the spice that we already have. <clears throat> <laughs> Are you gonna fuck? Jesus Christ! I'm a twenty. Why does it always come up? Why does my person? Anyway, right. We're moving on. Questions from the audience because that has finally happened. About. 35 podcasts in and we finally have well not one not two but three questions although i'm actually going to add one as well so that would make four we're going to start off with sam khan at blessed with work on twitter asked what about women's boxing the amateur side seems quite exciting but no one overall no one talks about it terry big shout out to sam hope she is listening um one of my one of my top retweeters on the stuff that I write. No, I really appreciate that. Um, women's boxing will be here forever. I think skill levels through the roof. I think if we go back four years ago, it was a bit of a, well, you know, I'm just going to do it, win a few titles. And it was really easy to win a title if you could just swing a few punches. I think in the last four years, and thanks to, you know, Nicola Adams, Savannah Marshall, Katie Taylor especially, and also, let's not forget the impact of the UFC and Ronda Rousey. That's also been quite important. So what we've seen now is the skill level increase, but we've also seen the type of athlete change. We're now getting the real athletes. So the, the young women who used to go off and play netball, I'm not stereotyping here, this is true. The young women that used to go off and play netball are now looking at boxing as a viable option. The young women that used to do athletics are now looking at boxing as a viable option. Which, I mean, just to paradox this somewhat, like in America, the, the criticism is that there's not the money in boxing. And so you get the athletes, the male athletes that used to go off to do boxing, now go off and do American football, and basketball, basketball yeah. etc. So in the UK then for women's, because I know nothing about this, I'm going to plead ignorance. So so if you look at, let's look at the podium guys, like a Nicola Adams, um, they'll pay her the best part of 40k a year just to be in that squad. Um, you know, you've got accommodation paid for, food paid for. Plus endorsements. You endorsements, can speaking engagements. Nicola Adams makes good money. Good. In the sport. And what, you know, you look at the... Just li- to sort of clarify this, sorry for anyone yeah. that's... This is the lady that won 
uh, the gold at the last Olympics, at, at, at right? the 2012 Olympics yeah. and likely to win one in 2016 as well. Um, you then have, if you look at the list of the ABAs this year, if you're a young lady, you're looking at that list going, I can win something and I could probably box for GB. I think in this country, we're less evolved than they are in Ireland. So I've got two very good friends of mine, Kelly Harrington and Dervla Duffy, who are at the World Championships as we speak. I know Kelly won and Dervla was unlucky to lose to either the Italian or the Russian. She'll pull me up for that one. Fantastic. Elegant. Um, if you can get videos of Kelly Harrington, wonderful. Can switch hit, works well off the jab, can throw counter hooks as leads. She can do absolutely anything. She can hook as a lead on both sides. She's super skillful. So I can watch it and appreciate the skill level. In the States, obviously, you've got Clarissa Shields, who's just mowing down everyone at 75 kilograms. Um, and then in this country, look, you've got Nicola Adams, you've got Lisa Whiteside. Um, Chantel Cameron, but she didn't qualify, did she? Yeah. Bless her. Um, and then Thingy, what's the one with the two boxing brothers? Uh, Sandy Ryan. Yes, Sandy Ryan. Um, you, have all, you have all these talented young women boxing, and it's exciting times. I just showed you guys the video of young Sinead Robinson, who we think is the future of the sport. Because I don't know goodness. how readily available that video is, but she looked fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Tanted young kid. She's lovely. Um, good family. Look, she has a six foot four brother and he's 14. So it's just, you know, perspective. <laughs> you know. 12 foot six brother at 21. Exactly. Um, so for me, women's boxing is in a good place, particularly in countries like Ireland. You know, you go over to the Nordics where gender roles are slightly different and women's boxing is thriving there as well. Um, you know, look, I say this, if you're listening, in about four weeks' time, we'll have the Herringay Box Cup pop down. Men's, women's boxing, youth boxing, come down and have a look. The skill level's pretty high now. And I think four years from now, you will see elite level athletes in the women's game. And, you know, we'll take it seriously as a sport, I think. On that, then, can you ever foresee a day when we've got, dare I say it, pay-per-view female boxing holding its own? This is it's an interesting question. Um, I think boxing's about heroes. I watch Mayweather because he does something I can't do. So until women want to pay to watch women do stuff that they can't do, I don't think you have a viable market. Because, look, we're guys of... of a certain size and we can watch boxing and we go, do you know what? I could jump in with Clarissa Shields. I'm not that nervous. So there's not really that hero factor. Whereas if you watch someone like a Kovalev, you're a bit more like, wow, yeah, you know, I wouldn't want to mess with him. <clears throat> but I so think, does it, to, sorry, Mike, does, it, does it suffer then the same sort of um, problems that say straw weight boxing does and featherweight boxing does that it doesn't have that same sort of danger power. Yeah. No one wants to, you can't make heroes out of those, you know, you can't make heroes out of a guy that weighs 110 pounds. Um, and I want more women to get involved in boxing. I want them to say, do you know what? I want to go to York Hall and watch an all-female bill. They should be driving. I don't think men can drive the growth of women's boxing. Women should be able to do this. I think until uh, professional women's boxing is more prevalent in the UK, like you need that breakout star to, you know, become a, a banner for the sport. And at the moment, you know, I'm a... I'm a huge boxing fan. I I couldn't tell you much, if anything, about professional women boxing in the UK. And like that's my ignorance, and I completely appreciate See, that. But. I can't, because I can talk to ladies like Ava Knight over in the States, and she does wonderful things for boxing over there. And, you know, in Mexico, it's thriving. So Maria Conejo, for example, you know, He's fantastic. making these up, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. No, but so so the, the, there are a lot of things happening. <laughs> you, should do, you should jump on the bandwagon, mate. 
Sandy Chevalov in Russia. Oh, I she's, remember she's doing great things. She fights bears in Siberia. <laughs> I remember when I was out in Kazakhstan a while back, and yeah. Ikhmel Nekneknok was uh, <laughs> she knocked out a fucking building. Honestly, that building was. <laughs> you got so wrapped up in the name, then <laughs> she ends up knocking out a building. <laughs> Um, okay, sorry, thank sorry. you very much, Sam Carnfy. Question: Actually, she does have another one that's sent him. So, uh, but we're going to move on to a question for you, Martin. Initially, at least. Um, where does Kel Brook go, or what does he do if he's mandated mandated to fight Spencer Junior? Errol Spence Junior, who's a, a fantastic talent. Hold on, uh, can I just? Sorry, uh, this is from Mark at. At you and Mark on Twitter. At you and Mark, who uh, he gave us a really good review the other day. So shout out to you, you and Mark. Even though you slated our fucking audio quality the other week as well. So swings and roundabouts. Coming for you, Mark. <laughs> swings and roundabouts, mate. Let's hope it's better this time. <laughs> um, yeah. So Spence Junior is seen as a bit of an animal, probably the danger man in the welterweight division. Uh, there's lots of talk, you know, he's now the IBF mandatory. If you listen to Eddie Hearn, he says that they've offered the fight to Spence Jr. Um, which, whether you believe it or not, I don't know, but he's saying that Spence Jr.'s team turned it down, saying they need at least one more preparation fight before fighting Brook. Um, I say whether or not that's true, who knows, but um, will I mean, Brook is a big welterweight, it's fairly clear. Um Inevitably, at some point, he will move up to 154 pounds, uh, like middleweight division. There's been talk of him fighting Liam Smith um, at that weight. I think he'd punch holes in Liam Smith, personally. Um, will he vacate the title before he has to fight Errol Spence Jr.? I don't think he would, personally. I think he would. He's still looking for that fight that gets him recognition from boxing fans. Um, and you can argue the Sean Porter title win. Um, should give him that, but then he's gone so far backwards since then that it's painful. I don't. I think he wants to legitimise himself. I don't think he's had the opportunity to do so yet through various circumstances. Um, I, I can't see him vacating. Uh, I think he will stick it out to fight Spence. What do you reckon, Terry? Um, Spence fought small welterweights thus far, so you know he's always had the size advantage. You know. Who was the lad that he punched holes in? Chris Van Heerden. Yeah. Smashed holes in him. Chris Algieri, small welterweight, punched holes in him too. Um, Kel Brooks a lump, as you said before. I think it's a different proposition because Kel hits hard, so he has a deterrent, which the other two didn't have. And a lot of people ignore that in boxing, this idea of a deterrent, which is what's that one thing you can do in the ring that turns the fight in your favor? And Brook has a number of those shots. So I don't think Brooke has to be scared of Spence. I just don't think Matchroom have the money to make that fight happen. So I see it happening in the United States. And, you know, is that, advant- is that advantage Spence or advantage Brooke? Brooke's beaten Porter abroad. So I don't think that's a big issue. My big concern for Kel Brook in a wider sense is this. How much money is there in the Matchroom coffers to keep him, Eubank Jr. and... Anthony Joshua in meaningful fights. You know, look, cash flow is cash flow. Can you really be paying three, four million pound purses to all of their opponents in any given year, considering your annual revenue is what, 34 million? But surely that, um, and we touched on this last week, but surely that changes if you get bigger, more, bigger drawn boxes that then create more money through uh, bigger productions. Surely then that increases your cash flow and 
you know, it, it allows you to prepare for more fights. I mean, admittedly, it's going to be a slow process, but doesn't that not go hand in hand? So, so okay. So let's say June twenty fifth, we've got the Joshua Bill. That's going to cost Matchroom a certain amount of money to set up. So on the Sunday after, they've committed all of this money, and they might have to wait ninety days to see all of that come back. So they're not in profit for ninety days because most companies have these payment terms. Yeah. That means you know they're a bit tight for cash. So then, when do you put your next pay per view on? Maybe October. You know, you got to put money down for that. And in the meanwhile, guys have to kick their heels in fights which are lower values. So I think that's the main problem. It's not really Eddie Hearn lacks ambition. It's just sometimes there's not enough money going around. Whereas in America, where the model's completely different, there is enough free cash floating around that you can make these these cards like you know Lara, Charlo, Charlo. You can make these cards happen. Um, you can make the the Porter, you know, the Porter Thurman card happen in close proximity to each other. And then you can have Broner coming through towards the end of the year, and you can plan these all in advance because you know financially they're in a stronger position. So okay, so that that segues on nicely to the question I have for you, which is, what, what can you say specifically is the main differences between British boxing and American boxing? What can perhaps they either learn from each other or you know just outline what you see as the as the key okay. differences? So high level, America, pay-per-view, strong. Live gates, weak. So they build their model on pay-per-view. UK, pay-per-view, weak. Live gates, strong. So you never hear the... <laughs> like in the US, they publish the pay-per-view numbers of how many people bought it. They don't do that in the UK. So you can normally gauge it by how good the sales are, by whether Eddie Hearn tells you how many they sold or whether he doesn't. And if they sold a good one, then he'll give you, like, not an exact, but a pretty ballpark figure. Uh, if it's a shit one, then you won't get those values out of him. So so that, that changes your model. So Eddie has to create boxing local boxing markets. So he has to have a, a presence in Manchester, a presence in Liverpool... Leeds. A presence in Leeds, Sheffield, Birmingham, Again, back to Scotland. Yeah, back to Scotland, and then London, where you know that's the base of operations. So he has to build regional stars, which you know informs his matchmaking, which is why you're getting the card you are with Bellew. Whereas in America, you don't have to. You know, Andre Ward can fight in New York because you know they're relying on pay per view. It doesn't matter where Andre Ward is, but that's slowly starting to change because what do we do? We stream. So now the American promoters are thinking we need local markets. And you're starting to see that a bit. So if you look at PBC, they have an East Coast profile with their bouts. A lot of their bouts happen on the East Coast. The big ones sometimes happen in Vegas. Golden Boy, you know, will do the West Coast. Bob Arum tends to go somewhere down the middle. You know, he's kind of in between both. And you're starting to see that delineation. And it's important because now that Arum and Al Heyman have made peace over the, you know, supposedly Al Heyman's operation was anti-competitive, They've, they've resolved that. And I think that's just a realisation that there's not enough money in this game for everyone to keep fighting each other. Will that mean better cards in the States? We're hoping so. But look at the UK. We own the heavyweight division at the moment. You know, all the big heavyweight fights have to happen here. Um, you know, we might get that way with the super middleweights as well. There's certain divisions that we can hold some kind of sway over, but generally speaking, America's still where those big pay-per-view numbers happen. Okay, um, let's uh, move on to Sam Khan's second question. Um, she's at, at Blessed With Work. She asks, speaking of heavyweights, 
Is there room for Dillian White in the uh, in the division? He's got real talent, but it seems to be constant. He seems to be constantly sidelined. Martin. Um, so White's had the shoulder problem that was much spoken about after the Joshua fight. You know, it was vaguely talked about before, and and then not used as an excuse necessarily, but you know, you could you could argue it was. Um, so yeah, he's had that shoulder op done now post the uh, the Joshua fight. He's coming back on the undercard of uh, Joshua. It'd be interesting to see what level of opponent they pick for him. Um, I think personally, there's there's a place for him now. Sky are gonna Sky had him in doing the um, studio punditry for uh, Takan Parker over the weekend, and he was actually quite interesting. Um, he speaks his mind like you cannot say anything about Dylan White, but he speaks his mind. Um, Although Ed Robinson in the Sky Studio, <laughs> that bloke has a pair of nuts on him because he came out with uh, with Dillian White sat like a foot away from him. He said uh, with the Parker win um, over Takam, that gives him a better win than anyone Joshua's got on his resume. With Dillian White sat next to him, <laughs> Do you know Which, that that's a ballsy move. Um, Only a man that shared a flat with Howard Eastman could say that. Yeah, yeah, that, that is uh, some nuts. So for Dillian White, I mean, who wouldn't want to see? I'd love to see Dillian White, David Hay. What a fight that would be. Um, you know, if you wanted to build an eliminator or whatever to get into Joshua, have Dillian White, David Hay. What a fight. What a build up. What a pair of characters. You know, two London boys. I'd love to see that. Do you know what puzzles me? Last night when they interviewed David Hay on TV, he said, I got criticised for taking this fight. Um, everyone says that he wasn't the right standard of me. But everyone was booked up. Everyone was booked up. And this was, I looked for the best fighter in Europe with the longest undefeated record. And I found him. <laughs> and that was that was the Don't reason I out. took this fight. And I thought, instantly, I just thought, well, when was the last time Dillian White fought? Why couldn't he have fought David Hay? Yeah, Dillian White's been in rehabilitation for the shoulder. Um, and so he's not been full training. But uh, yeah, he will be back on the, the Joshua undercard. I personally, like, it's so hard to tell. But if you're saying that Anthony Joshua is a world champion, then you have to say that Dillian White is at world championship level. Um, you know, he landed that big left hook that wobbled Joshua... Yeah, there's all the circumstances around the fight, the personal fiascos between them, etc., etc. We're not going to know how good White is, would be my answer, until he's fully rehabilitated and you get him in the ring with somebody who's a big chance. Because ultimately, before Joshua, just like Joshua himself, those two had never fought anybody that could challenge either of them before that fight. And we still haven't seen it, and it'll be interesting to see what level of opponent they they pull out for White um, in this undercard fight. I personally, I'd like to see um, a Pulev, someone like that, you know, go for the European title, um, because I think there's a, there's a lot to offer from from Dillian White. Terry, um, it's a tricky one. Um, I I have a bit of bias because I know Dillian. Dillian's friends with a good friend of mine, Big Dom, and you know he's friends with Ian Lewison as well. So I have a natural bias towards Dillian. I don't think he needs to fight anyone serious anytime soon. I think he needs to work on his jab. And I think he needs to develop a straight right hand as well. He doesn't have that deterrent. He relies too much on the left hook. And if if guys are covered up, like, you know, for example, Joshua will always keep his hands high. You struggle because you can't land that left hook. So, he, you know, he, he ran out of ideas. I don't think Jonathan Banks was the right guy for him. You know, he's the guy who needs to go out to the States, maybe spend time with Ronnie Shields. He's come to Jimmy Tibbs, I think, now, from Red Riley the other day. I'll take that. 
um, there's something I like about Jimmy Tibbs. You know, he he's been in the game long enough, and it's one of my pet peeves is sometimes we ignore some of the old, the elder statesmen in the game. You know, like I, I Facebook post I put on today, like I sat behind Gary Logan yesterday, and no one seemed to know who Gary Logan was, which is disgraceful because we should all know who Gary he's Logan is. He's a decorator, is. isn't he? That's Gabby Logan. Oh, it? sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We like confusing names for hilarity on the New Age Boxing Podcast. So you, you know, so if he's with Tibbs, he's in a good place because yeah. I think I think <laughs> it'll almost turn him into being Nigel Ben esque in the sense that the guy's just going to turn turn up for a fight and he'll break you down with that that sheer will to win. And what he needs is some conditioning as well. Like it's the elephant in the room about him, really, but. He's never been in great shape. He only gets into the ring. As much as you can say a fighter doesn't need to look great to win, I mean, fuck me, you can tell there's an obvious cardio difference between, say, Joshua and White going into that yeah. fight. So, like room for improvement easily. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah. So I'd like him to have a few... Well, look, June 25th should be a soft fight just to test out the shoulder. Yeah. Let him fight a Dave Allen afterwards. Um, keep him at that level. Don't don't push him up to early next year. Don't and push him to anyone like the Cobra. Oh, you can't... <laughs> Then, then early next year, you just have him taking out the American contenders. So, Jarrell Miller, Gerald Washington Jr. Charles Martin will get dug out for someone. Oh, guaranteed. Please, no. Former world champion. Guaranteed he gets a fucking call up. from. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of upside with Dillian. I'm Absolutely. Not, I'm, not surpri- I'm not surprised Eddie signed him up because I just think, look, well, I think it was Coogan Cassius said it. The most popular videos he has on yeah. his site are Dillian White videos. Because deep down, fans like it. Whatever they say about Tyson Fury, fans like boxers who speak their mind and who also reflect what the fans are thinking. That's in So Dillian is almost like the anti-Anthony Joshua. He is. He'll say it himself as yeah. well. I think that was it. He was interviewed, wasn't he? And it was like, so what do you think of Joshua? I still don't like him. Yeah. But he was nice about you in the press conference. Ah, he's just playing the game. I still don't like him. I was like, there you go. <laughs> Fair one. Okay, uh, you mentioned elephants in the room. Let's talk about <clears throat> ginger Mexican elephants in the room. Canelo has dropped his middleweight belt because he's scared that there's a bigger Russian elephant coming to get him. Is that why <laughs> I sort of illustrated that well enough? Yeah, um, maybe the elephant Kazakh and you're all right there. All oh, right, there we go, yeah. Much for muchness. What a disgrace. I mean... I don't. I haven't spoken to you, Terry, about your views on it or whatever. Like when he invited Golovkin into the ring after he'd wiped out a blown up light welterweight in Khan, um, and he, you know, Oscar De La Hoya's there going, uh, Golovkin, make sure your phone's on in the morning. Blah blah blah. We're gonna call you. And uh, what's Golovkin's exact words? Us Mexicans don't fuck around. Like, okay, so from Canelo. that, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, um, Canelo's. A week on from that, he drops his title and claims that it will make fight negotiations easier for Golovkin because they're not restricted to timescales. What? Just unbelievable. Like, Can you just outline for us why why we, it's by popular consensus, we think this has happened? All right, so Canelo, uh, although he's the WBC, or was the WBC middleweight title holder, has never fought at the £160 middleweight limit. Um, Golovkin is a wrecking ball of a middleweight um, undefeated knocks everybody out that he fights um, Golovkin would want the fight if they were to take it I'm sure he would want it at catch well, I say catch weight but the lower end of the middleweight scale at 155 
Golovkin, you know, he maybe should, maybe shouldn't to get that big name on his record. Don't know. Um, but he could go, he could uh, comprehend the idea of going down to 155, but why should he? Um, and so it just, it looks so bad on the sport. In a year, you know, you're trying to make big fights. That's what fans want is big fighters fighting other big fighters. And then you get one of the most high profile lineal titles in world boxing getting dropped because you don't want to get your head smashed in by Golovkin. Um, and whether that happened or not, like we don't know now, but I, I suspect it would. But he's not given us the opportunity to see it. And if he wants to drop down to light middleweight, at 154 pounds then that's fine but don't go in the ring straight after you've knocked out you know a fat light welterweight and say that you know you want the Golovkin fight just say you know this weight doesn't suit your drain you or you know you're you're too slow whatever but it's all the it's garbage anyway Uh, you got anything on that Terry I think the fight will happen so I don't think Canelo's ever cared about belts if you look at Canelo's CV and we can debate the results of the respective fights, no one has a stronger CV in boxing right now than Canelo in terms of matching name for name. Uh, if you measure it on that, then he doesn't need to fight Golovkin, uh, but he will fight Golovkin because you have a sense that Canelo cares more about his legacy. I don't think Golden Boy want him to fight Golovkin yet because there's still money to be made off Canelo. Agreed. When I talk about Canelo, I mean the team of Canelo rather yeah. than necessarily the fighter himself. So I think I think the fight could happen. I think Golovkin's problem is this. Now that the belt's out the way, the weight it needs to happen at is subject to negotiation and Golovkin is the B-side fighter in this. And when you're the B-side fighter, you take the terms. Let's, let's look at history. Mayweather had to go up to fight Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar De La Hoya had to go up to fight Hopkins. Hopkins had to go up in weight you know, to meet Kelly Pavlik at what, what, 165? Yeah. You know, great fighters do that. I mean, Canelo came down to 152 to fight Floyd. Golovkin can't say he's not moving for anyone. Golovkin has to move because if he wants this fight and he needs it for his legacy more than Canelo does, he has to come down. So now the, so I think it's a smart move where they say, actually, you know what? This, this middleweight belt is off the limits. Now we're going to fight as men. How much weight are you willing to cut to fight me? But that's not fighting as men. That's fighting as an absolute pussy. (laughs) No, no, no. It it can't be. Because if we've always accepted that the A-side fighter calls the shots, then Golovkin has to say, right, I'll come down to your weight, fight you, rematch, we do it on my terms if I win. And I'll tell you who said it best. Kenny Porter said it best. He said, look, we've got less money than Thurman for this fight. And we don't mind because when we take him out, there's going to be another fight. And then we're going to call all the shots then. Right, the question I have is, right, okay, so what does what do Canelo and Golovkin sit at naturally? What would be their natural, if they didn't have to shed weight, or anything, what would they sit naturally at? Both Probably the same. They'd be about so 172 what, each. So is it like just some, has, he got, has Canelo just got some superpower he can weigh in at 155 and enter the ring at 260 younger, pounds? that helps. So I, I have a theory. And, you know, I'll be called a nutcase for saying this. I think it's, it's it's genetic propensities. And I think it's down to, you know, relative cell size and relative cell numbers. Because if you notice, fighters from an Afri- of African ancestry don't balloon. So Mayweather will weigh in at 147, fight at 150. You know, no matter what he puts inside of him. Um, probably the same with Trout. But you can have a Danny Garcia go 
going to the ring at like 165. And it's like, well, where, where's all this additional weight coming from? Is it that they can just reflate fat cells? Can they reflate muscle cells? You know, I think there's just a genetic advantage there in that you can suck down and then blow up again. You know, because I'm still trying to think, you know, even guys like Wilder, you look at Wilder, can you imagine him ballooning? Probably not. So, so it's just the ability for him to then add quick weight on over that yeah. 24 hours, which then allows him to essentially cut people down to size or if people are coming up to be massively large. Always, he always ends up entering the ring bigger than everyone else. Is that is that what Canelo ends up doing? Well, I think Kirkland would have run him close because Kirkland can blow up between Wayne and fight night. But Canelo's so used to the process now that... You know, his body, I mean, it's adapted to it. So can Golovkin suck down to 155? We don't know what impact that would have on him fight night because he's so used to being 160. Um, my, my feeling is they'll, they'll fight at 157. There'll be a rehydration clause on both sides and they'll fight. And then we'll find out. What's a rehydration clause? You can't be above a certain weight on fight night. See, I'm chucking all this the other way around and I think, like... <clears throat> to me, don't get me wrong, as you say, Canelo has a CV that is second to none within the sport at present. Um, I just think like chucking away that belt takes away any ability. Uh, as you say, it takes away all the weight issues. But like, if you're the middleweight title holder of the world, go and fight the other guy who holds all the belts minus Billy Joe Saunders with the WBO. What I'd, would the rules be if they'd have, if they'd have fought under those belts? It would belts? be contractual. Like, you come up with it between yourselves. No, no, I think I think for mandatory, it will be at 160. You couldn't negotiate that. You can negotiate the voluntary. No, I'm not... Because Cotto Canelo wasn't a mandatory, if you remember. His mandatory was Golovkin. So when you get to your mandatory, you can't, you can't negotiate the mandatory because... I think it's in, the, it's in the WBC statutes that middleweight is up to 160. Yeah, so chuck the belt away. Yeah. I completely like. I don't personally like. I don't care, and I know it's a business. I know it's got all the A side, B side stuff to it, and I know through history you've had it. I, I just don't care for it. Like, I just want to see two men get in the ring and have a fight and find out who's the best at the weight limit that they're supposedly fighting at. That's where. My... So when you see someone, man- what it seems to be manipulating the system for an advantage, that's when. You sort of just do you, do you feel it's almost like scream unfair play. Kind yeah, of that's when you lose the will to like. To me, as a boxing fan, I want the same as when you see like Eddie Hearn supporters and they talk about oh, you know, the risk reward ratio and fighting Rigondeau, etc. Like, why do fans give a toss about what a fighter is earning? I've never understood that whatsoever. Like. You don't get a cut of it. You don't get 10% of what that fighter <laughs> earns. So why do you care what the risk-reward ratio is? Surely you want to see them people in there having the best fights possible. <laughs> Aside from maybe Ward-Kovalev, the best fight possible this year is Canelo-Golovkin. And we're probably not going to see it right now. Whether taking away the belt from the whole factor uh, helps or hinders, I'm I'm not convinced. Well, my perspective would be, going back to your point earlier, Terry, which was you watch Sport for Heroes, a storybook, quintessential, however you want to, however you want to sort of frame it, hero doesn't try and manipulate things to to his advantage to win. You know, he he, the stereotypical hero walks into a ring and goes, "I'll fight anyone who'll fight me." Well, within reason, do you know what I mean? Well, let's let, let's let's go back to not that long ago 
where Ward said, I'll fight Golovkin. 168, I'll fight Golovkin. And Golovkin said, I'm not going up. He said, I'm not going up. I'm a middleweight champion. I'm not going up. And then, you know, he was like, I'll do 164. And Ward was like, no, 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 come up to 168. You want to prove yourself, do this. And it goes to show no one's immune from jerking people around regarding weight. Frosch said the same thing. Frosch said, can Golovkin do 172? Everyone does that because when you're getting your head punched in, you want every advantage you can get. I I don't care. Like, look, from a coaching perspective, if someone says to me, you can steal an extra day for your fighter, I'll do that. If I can steal an extra hour for my fighter, I will do that. Even if I don't need it, I'll do it because you just never know. You know, because my look, duty of care is to to the fighters. So I completely and utterly agree with all that. Like, you, from a manager's perspective in boxing, and need to be getting the best advantage. My, this is where the frustration is, though, that you've got two middleweights and one of them chucks the belt away. Like, I just, you know, like, throw all the politics out of the way and just say, look, you've got two middleweights here. One is a WBC middleweight champion. One is a WBA and IBF fight. We'll see. If if the only issue that, that arises is weight, we'll see how badly Golovkin wants this fight. Because I, I'd like to think with him being, you know, decorated amateur, being in this sport his whole life, he'll say, do you know what? If I start working on it now, I can drop to 157 and I'll knock him out and then I don't have to worry about this garbage anymore. And fingers crossed that happens. The most uh, the most frustrating thing will be if Canelo hangs around the middleweight division and doesn't fight Golovkin. Then, Agreed. Then like, I'll lose the will to live at that point. Agreed. <laughs> But the problem is always because it's because it's Canelo, he has so many options because everyone wants that meal ticket. Yeah. So if you're Danny Jacobs, you know you're you're putting up those Instagram videos with the Canelo, I'm coming for you, and all that sort of nonsense. You know, Andy Lee's probably looking at Canelo saying, "Yeah, why not?" Last payday. Yeah. Everyone looks at so he has options. No one's looking at Golovkin like that, and Golovkin runs at risk of being frozen out like Rigondeau is. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay, well, it seems like a good place to wrap up. Um, I think it's important that I just want to add a f- couple more bits, which is uh, we don't tend to add in very often. Well, since we've got them, we might as well say, let's have some more questions. Um, if you come through to Martin at New Age Boxing Podcast UK. That's on... not me at all. You just made that up. No, I did make that up. I, I even, it's not even what I've written down. No, no. <laughs> okay, scrub it. Uh, come through to Martin on new, at New Age Boxing UK. Yeah. Uh, ask questions, please, and then I can put them in the podcast for these two chaps to answer. Um, and that, I believe... Oh, no. And seriously, guys, um, like the page, get involved with Facebook, get involved on Twitter, listen to the podcast, review it, do all of that good stuff that keeps these sorts of things going. Because, look, you have opinions, you know, you have questions you want answered. You know, get involved. You know, I know people consume this and then just, you know, don't get involved. But it's those little things that keep the debate going. So get involved if you can via Facebook, New Age Boxing, um, Twitter at New Age Boxing. You know, get jump on the website, www.newageboxing.com and keep following the podcast. And that's how you keep guys like me coming in here talking all kinds of shit. <laughs> Good words, though. Good words. <laughs> Do me have a job. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> like, we'll... Uh be with you, I suppose, around about next week. Yeah. 
we kind of keep it sketchy, but bank holiday next weekend, then it will work it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Goodbye from me. Goodbye. Good evening. I'm gonna get it up, 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 I'm gonna get it up,